Hey everyone, and welcome to the Creative Financing Podcast. I'm Nicole Kamanjian. I'm here with Cody Richard and the host of this show, Jeff Rappaport. This is episode 225, and today we're going to cover part two of how to start writing creative financing offers. While listening to this episode, if you guys have questions, please head over to the Creative Financing Podcast Facebook group. If you're not part of the community, just search the Creative Financing Podcast in Facebook and ask to join. There will be a live session on the second Thursday of every month, so please bring your questions. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can ask your questions in the comments below. And lastly, we want to thank you for subscribing, liking, and sharing this podcast with your friends. Perfect. Thank you. What we're going to do today is we're going to continue on more for the the investor that is just starting to get into creative financing and it can be kind of overwhelming to have a lead and try to figure out where to go with it uh and nicole that would probably fit more in uh your realm um and i actually listened back to last episode earlier today and uh i put you on the spot and uh, you were like, um, and, and which I know is tough, but, uh, as you do this more and more, does it start to make more sense for you? Yeah, definitely. Especially, um, the repetition. Cause we, we always start at the same spot. Like you like to work backwards. So, uh, we got to figure out, um, you know, like the expenses and all that. And then, and then putting the offer together, like, uh, where where to start, like asking price, so on and so forth. Well, and today, and Cody, you've had more experience doing this, and now you're doing it uh, on your own. But you, for a year, right, you saw all the the LOIs, right? Then, um, and you probably started seeing patterns and uh, particular offers I like. And then every once in a while, you'd probably see something like, wait, what's this? This is like new. Right. And, uh, that that's again about building the foundation and having these things that you, and, uh, there, there are certain strategies I like to use more than others. And, uh, I feel like they're more straightforward. I think that they work a lot of the time and, they accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish. And then every once in a while, things change and uh, you have to change as well. And so you can't really make everyone fit into a particular mold. Have you seen that as well in your own business? Yeah, I feel like for me, the contract for deed or land contract are just kind of the bread and butter. They work in so many situations. You can tinker with the terms, but that's kind of the one that works most of the time. Like you said, there's some that are more one-off, like seller subordination or subject to or lease option type stuff or simple interest, all those different tools in the toolkit yeah. that work less often, but still have a lot of good utility. Well, lately I've question. been doing more stuff like uh, you have one payment for this amount of time and then you have a, a higher payment or an escalating interest rate. Um or maybe it's principal only for a couple of years and then you get some interest, uh, different ways to combat the higher prices that, that we're still seeing, even though 
they're starting to loosen. Not every seller is certainly on board yet. And even some realtors and brokers aren't on board yet, but we're in that transition period. Did you have something to say, Nicole? Yeah, I have a question for both of you, actually. How do you decide um, what what you're going to use, like what strategy you're going to use? Because Cody mentioned like contract for deed and um, uh, enlisted off a bunch of them. So I'm just curious how is it just the situation that you're dealing with and uh, knowing the uh, I guess the different strategies that you could use to help that person out with or I don't know. Yeah. What do, you, for, what do you think? Yeah. For me, I look at kind of two different buckets of information. So one, what the exit strategy is going to be. So if it's something that's really beat up and it's going to be more of a rehab project, look for offers around there. Or if it's a buy and hold, I'll structure it based on that or wholesale, whatever it might be. And then on the other side of it, I look at what the, the seller is going to need. So how long the term can go, the down payment, um, interest rate, those kind of things. And I structure based on those two buckets of information. So for example, if it's something where they don't need a lot of money up front, I'm more likely to do a contract for deed type of arrangement, give them a down payment, just structure pretty normally. But if they need 30% down or a higher down payment, more likely to go with a seller subordination or something along those lines. And for me, I was very much into contract for deed a couple of years ago, and that was the vast majority of my offers when I worked primarily in Utah and Idaho, because I'd already found attorneys and title companies that understood it and uh, could deal with the closings. And they, they have some benefits, right? That, that we don't worry as much about due on sale. And um, it's an easier sell to the seller. Uh, a seller still maintains some control that way. Uh, as we've done more and more nationwide, I've gotten away from that. And I, I rarely offer that anymore. Um it's not that I, I wouldn't, but I just don't know all the rules in every market. And uh, rather than try to figure that out, uh, I'd rather just go based on title. And then if that were to come up, when I say go for title, go where the title would transfer. And if that were to come up, then that's now some conversation that I could have with the seller with, you know, what are some of the other alternatives or possibilities? So uh, I know some of the, the people have asked because uh, they've seen stuff and it was all contract for deed, which was easy when I was just doing Utah and Idaho. But uh, now it changes. It may be uh bond for deed it could be uh, agreement for sale it can be land contract and every market may have different rules and then finding someone or people that actually know how to deal with it is a whole nother challenge so uh, I try to stay away from that now um, but if I was selling that would be a different story uh, that I still like maintaining control. And if uh, I could stay on title uh, as opposed to giving title to my buyer, that would certainly be something uh, I would consider. So, um, so you can, 
so when you're buying, you're making, you're structuring a certain offer, but then if you're going to wholesale it, you can structure a different offer. No. So if I'm wholesaling it, it is whatever I am creating with the seller. Cause the, the buyer is buying our contract and, Got it. uh, and, uh, if I was again doing it where I felt comfortable, I would do probably contract for deed because that's going to protect the seller more. And uh, it would be easier if I need to get back involved in some way or another down the road. But because we work in various markets and uh, I don't know all the rules, in some cases there may not be really a major advantage like in Texas, you, you can't do contract for deed. Um, uh, and there's really no reason to because the foreclosure process is so quick. And But it may be worthwhile, like in Michigan, the foreclosure process is probably, I don't know what it is, four to six months maybe. And then there's a redemption period. And uh, if you were to do contract for deed, there's a forfeiture process that you could probably get the property back in 45 to 60 days. So if I was going to do stuff in Michigan, then I would probably want to do it that way. And, uh, but if I'm buying, then I'd rather buy that way. And then I would sell contract for deed or land contract. Uh, and then that, and that part won't change much. Um, uh, and you got to know that, whenever you use contract for deed or land contract that uh, even though that there's this judicial way of going about getting the property back quicker, that may not actually be the case if your buyer was to um, bring this whole thing to court and you end up before a judge. So uh I would tell you, to me, um, simpler to just keep it where title transfers, but it does open some doors for some other potential problems. All right, so let, let's move on just because I want to get through this in a reasonable amount of time. Um, so I, I want to continue on from last episode where, hey, where do you go? What, what, how do you know what to do when you get a lead, right? Uh, how do you even know where to start trying to structure creative finance? And so I did this PowerPoint for our apprentice group a couple of months ago, and I, I want to point this out. So th this is what I do or our team does um, on every lead, right? So we'll look at it on Google Earth. Um, we'll do a street view. We'll get an idea of the area, the the street you know um what it's by you know is it up against a major road or uh commercial property or whatever um then we run comparables right which everyone should be doing and uh and then if it's a possibility as of being a rental we'll run rent comparables and those will give us information about where we can go. And you can see the last one down here. You guys can see my screen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The last one, and this is what I want to talk about, is determining your potential exit strategies. Okay. So what that means is what is, what, 
based on our business model. And everyone may have a different one. And th this is not inclusive. I don't even use all of these, right? And th there may be others that you may use. Uh, uh, but Jeff, just for people who are listening and don't yes, have the visuals. I'll go through them really okay. quick. Yeah. So, um, so first of all, in our business model, we wholesale, we buy, we may do small renovations. We don't really rent, but we could create notes. Um, uh, we may wholesale. We may retail without doing a lot of work. Those are most of our exit strategies, right? With what different kinds of properties we may be dealing with. We don't do short-term rentals. We don't do any assisted living facilities or group homes. And we don't do any novations. Novations being an agreement with the seller to either allow you to kind of put the property on the MLS and or create some kind of partnership with the seller. We don't do those, okay? But I've listed them because you may. Okay, so we have rehabbing, we have wholesaling, hotel being, hey, the property needs some work. Uh, you may do little to no work and basically put it right back on the market. Wholesale, we're assigning our contract. Uh, buy and hold, you know, landlord. Sell on terms, which uh, we're either selling to an owner occupant or more than in some cases, even a landlord or a rehabber in that case, but more often than not, an owner-occupant. Uh, Short-term rental, novation, and then group home-assisted living kind of stuff. Okay. And just a quick sidebar for reference for viewers. it's I feel like it's really important to set up your exit strategies or what you're able to do based on the infrastructure of your business. Like I'm, I'm very small. I do mainly wholesale and wholesale. I don't have a crew to do rehabbing properties. I'm not as connected with lenders for buy and hold. Yep. Whereas Jeff, he has a bit of a larger team. He's got these resources that he's able to pull down properties different ways. So it's really important instead of just going after all of them, make your company kind of built around what you're looking to do. Yep. But I would also say that there are subsets within the so, Cody, you're a wholesaler, mm -hmm. but that means that you might wholesale to rehabbers. You may exactly. wholesale to owner-occupants. You may wholesale to landlords. Um, and those may determine a different offer that would allow you to cater to one of those or, or multiple of those people, right? So... When I say that, it doesn't mean that that's, that you do all of them. Um, but as a wholesaler, you may be selling to more than one type of investor. Definitely. Okay. Good point. All right. So then I, I just put here, these are some of the things that, that we use quickly to identify, you know, what type of proper what what strategy this property may fall within it's not all inclusive it doesn't mean that um if it's close then you know the, it gives us some ideas of where we want to go our cash offer strategy which is 
Um, you know, and everyone's got a little different way of figuring this out, but in reality, it all comes back to some type of equation that you can use fairly quickly to identify. And uh, ARV times 70% minus repairs equals your maximum allowable offer. And then if you were going to wholesale it, then you've got to minus your wholesale fee. And the only number that really changes here is that 0.70. Uh, you know, I would tell you in like Utah and Idaho and our two primary markets, you know, that, that was more like 0.83, uh, probably more like 0.80 now. Uh, some other markets, it's 0.75. And as things maybe shift to a little more of a buyer's market, it could actually get back to 0.70. So that, that's really the only thing that changes. You know, if we're wholetailing, we want to make sure we've got enough room in it. And I, I don't love that it's a percentage necessarily. To me, it has to do more with the area days on market and what kind of condition it's in. And then anything that, you know, when we figure out the rents, if it starts to approach that 1% rule, uh, then it could now start to fall into a good kind of cash flowing or rental property. Doesn't guarantee it, but it's just a quick way to know. What, what I do know is that I can discount properties really quickly using that 1% rule if um, you know I'm trying to buy something for $400,000 and it rents for $2,000 a month. That's more like the half percent rule. And I know the further we get away from that, the harder it will be to get any cash flow out of it. All right. So I want to go through a quick example and show what I'm going to do to kind of get rid of some exit strategies because this leads don't fit every strategy. Sometimes you'll find some that are like, oh, wow, I could do this. I can do that. Sometimes it's like just that there may be one. And so if you, if you have this mindset going in and you're, you're saying, look, these are all the different strategies I might use and I can start, getting rid of them, then I'm narrowing down my field, then I can start to have a little more direction. Um, so this was a house, actually, Cody uh, actually negotiated this deal back in- I remember this one. Yeah, <laughs> December. Um, and, you know, property in Florida. And here are all, you know, it's a four bed, two and a half bath, 2,400 square foot home um, in an HOA. Really what you need to know is she owed about two hundred ninety thousand. She had a payment of like twenty five hundred dollars, PITI, and she was de deferring her payment at the time. So uh, she was in that deferment program. She was asking four hundred and twenty thousand dollars for the property. So um, we did our analysis, right? Just like we went through before. Um, we determined that the ARV was probably around 510 to 530. Although, um, hey, Florida, you get penalized for not having a pool. Uh, in Utah, you get penalized for having a pool in a lot of cases. So um, that we decided that the value was probably more 505. And uh, we, we determined that, hey, it needed a garage door, a front door, some windows, some paint, some cleaning, and some landscaping. 
Um, so not a tremendous amount. Uh, it wasn't like all updated, didn't have quartz countertops or anything, but it was in good condition. Uh, but it looked really poor because, you know, the yard went, was done. The garage door was literally hanging by a, a thread. The front door was, uh, it was like bashed in. Um, and the owner said they wanted to be cashed out. Um, and actually she did not, she said, um, uh, initially she would not entertain terms. Okay. This is why, um, you, you continue to have a conversation, you dig deeper, right? So if we think that the property is, let's say, let's call it 500 just for reasonable, you know, brown numbers, um, would a rehab work? Um, and let's say that, you know, it, rehabbing would take 15, $20,000. So pretty small rehab, um, but it, at 500,000, uh, and she's asking for 20, uh, would a rehab work? Nah, it's super tight. We'd have to get a discount and probably, you know, 40, $50,000 discount. Uh, could we wholesale it? Um, well, we'd have to even get a bigger discount if we were going to wholesale. Could we wholesale it? Yeah, we could, but still it was a little high. The price was on the high end. Okay. There were no rentals allowed in this HOA. So creating long-term terms would only work as if we were going to sell to an owner-occupant. Okay, And now that I think about it, that should have been one of the uh, possibilities. But I'll show you why it really couldn't be. Um, the payment was kind of on the higher end. Um, I don't think it was too high. And but the seller didn't want to wait on our equity. And uh, could we have done a novation? Maybe, but um, she was kind of in a rush. So novations no, typically don't fit. Go ahead. Can you explain what a novation is, Jeff? Novation is so there's that, and I'm not an expert by any means. I've never done one, I don't plan on doing one, but I believe a novation is going to give me the the power of attorney to actually put their property on the MLS, even though I'm not a licensed agent. And then there may or may not be some kind of partnership with the seller, right? Like, Hey, um, Oh, anything over and above this amount will split or, um, you know, without me buying the property, I'll come in and do a little bit of work. And then we'll put it on the MLS and we'll see what we can get. And you get this much and I get that much. I believe that's what it is. So I don't do that and I'm not going to. Um, uh, whether you believe uh, it, it may be something that lasts forever or it may be more of a fad. Um, uh, I see it more as a fad. All right. So it's so much easier to negotiate with sellers when you have some direction of what you're trying to accomplish, right? Um, you know, obviously we always want to get to the lowest price that we can, but that's not even true if we're if we're negotiating terms. Price doesn't really matter as much what uh, the rest of the terms would. But what I'm trying to figure out is what is possible here, right? So. Um, so we got the price down to 400,000. 
Okay. But if I've got to borrow hard money now, um, more than likely, I'm going to have to put 10 to 20% down uh, unless I get, I'm able to find a lender in my local market that's willing, you know, knows me, understands me and is willing to lend out of state, which is not always easy. Otherwise, I got to go find a, a lender more either national or in Florida that doesn't know me and they'll probably want me to put down a significant amount of money, right? Most of them are charging somewhere in the vicinity of two points and 12% interest. And uh, so that would cost me, you know, $6,400 in points um, if I put down 20% and about $3,200 a month in interest. Well, this is going to uh, add up in a hurry, right? Um, so in four months, I will have already been over $19,000 in costs. And I still had to put down a significant amount of money, okay? So what we decided to do was negotiate the owner finance subject two in this case, where we would just pay the seller all of her equity at the time of closing. And she was still in that deferment. So she had no payment that had to be made. Now it was still getting added on to the back of the loan. So it wasn't like we were getting you know, a freebie, but we didn't have to bring it out of pocket. And, uh, and then we basically said, Hey, we'd pay off the loan at the end of, you know, as soon as we got the property sold within a few months. Okay. So all of a sudden that made a lot more sense to her. And the only reason that we were able to come to that realization is it was not a rehab. It wasn't a rental. It wasn't going to be um, a creative finance long-term because we weren't going to get into this house with the kind of terms that we'd want to be able to resell it. Uh, we couldn't rent it, and uh, actually, this, this HOA, you remember this, Cody? The HOA didn't even want me to be able to buy it because I wasn't going to occupy it. So Yeah, that was an ordeal for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was. So, um, you know, little tip, when you have HOA, make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. Um, so, but really, it came down to, were we going to rehab this or we're going to wholetail it? Or somewhere like in between, right? Where we might do a little bit of work and still have enough room to put it back on the market and make some money. So that, that is what we decided to do. And basically, we went through all of our possible scenarios. And this was like the easiest way to buy it. Now, what if you don't have a hundred grand or a hundred and ten thousand dollars lying around? I could partner, I could bring in a lender, uh, I'll probably pay a good amount, but it's on a smaller amount of money than borrowing, you know, 400. And, and, and to be honest, I, I probably would have had to come up with 80 either way. So um, uh, if you could do it hard money, more than likely you could have done this subject too. And so do you see how it's giving me some direction on where to go with this? And because uh, otherwise I, I'm just sitting with this lead trying to figure out, I, I know she'll, she'll discount to some degree. She said she wouldn't take terms. 
it wasn't a good enough discount to wholesale or rehab. What do we do from there? Uh, so being able to go through your exit strategies and eliminate them kind of gives you some direction on what it is that I'm trying to structure. And in this case, I was trying to structure, I know I got to get the price down, but I don't know how much is really going to come down. And second, how do I eliminate that big cost of, you know, that was going to be over $19,000 in interest that, hey, this is already going to be a little bit tight. How do I make sure that that, that doesn't really come back to haunt me? Yeah, and I so, think it's opening for me, and it should be eye-opening for our viewers as well, that you've been doing this 20-plus years and still take the time to evaluate your exit strategies rather than just being like, oh, this one doesn't seem to fit anything I'm doing off the top of my head. All right, let's move on. You well, go through each one and evaluate what it could be well but you know i i could look at this and i could be overwhelmed right i i know lots of strategies that i can use but they've got to fit not only with what i'm trying to accomplish if i'm trying to buy this for myself does it fit if i want to rent it does it fit if i want to sell it on terms does it fit if i want to do a lease option um if it doesn't fit, I don't want to make those offers. That's the offer that gets accepted, I promise you. Uh, so the goal really is, is that uh, I need some direction because otherwise I, I'm just throwing numbers around. And the goal really is, is, what does this lady need? Well, she needed, she wanted as much of the money out of it um, as possible. And she wanted it fairly quickly. That's what she needed. Now, it's really funny because we didn't know this until later on. The loan was in her husband's name. Her husband had passed away. So th there was no reason at all in for her to care that we were taking over that existing debt because it had nothing to do with her. There, We could have defaulted and it wouldn't have affected her in the least bit. Um, she was getting all of her money up front. That way, it did not affect her at all. And But we didn't have that information. And all we knew is that she said no to owner finance. As we moved forward and said, look, this is getting super tight with hard money and uh, the amount of money, that that's when we decided to ask and all of a sudden that came out and now it's like now it was a no-brainer it was easy and once it was explained to her she understood it as well um and then you can see you know based on what we're able to do that uh and we probably saved uh, but let's say you know i think this took if i remember right maybe 90 days, I would say, total from the time that we bought it to the time that we were done. And we were able to probably save $15,000 on uh, what would be hard money costs when it's all said and done. And we made about, I think, 44000 something like that. Um, and uh, if we didn't 
if we had incurred those costs, now we're more at like 28, 29. And uh, now you've got to wonder, is that really, if we were going in thinking that that's what we were going to make, that, that becomes really too tight, uh, in my opinion, to buy. Um, you know, when we had issues to deal with, uh, we had a, uh, a police at the house, we had homeless people living in the house, we had uh, contractors we had to figure out that uh, you've got, got to always think that, you know, what, what's going to happen? Um, uh, you know, uh, you see these big numbers, but hey, it's not the big numbers. It's, you know, what's reality? So, uh, but does that make sense? Why, you know, so I, I want to use those exit strategies to kind of point me in a direction. And, you know, if this was a free and clear property and I, we could rent the property, how many, how many different kinds of offers could we make, right? Um, now it's really more important about, do you need all your money right now? Um, yeah, would, would it make sense to make more money, but make it over time? Now we could look at, could it work as a rental, as, you know, buy and sell on terms, uh, wholesale, retail, whatever the case may be. Now we may have numerous options. Here we had one, in my opinion, uh, at least as far as our business model goes. Any questions? No, that's super helpful and a really good reminder for me to make sure I look at all exit strategies. Because I, like I said, I have a small team and I try to work quickly and get things processed, but taking that step back to go through each one and say, will this work here? Yes. Okay. Maybe I write an offer that's around this. Well, I think that our next episode, which we're going to take this another step further, just because I just talked to one of uh, my coaching students and uh, this was something that he brought up. And, and I think that uh, the more I've thought about it, which has only been like an hour, but uh, to me, there, there, there's only one option here and uh, maybe two, uh, shorter term, longer term. And I'll show you what I mean by that, but we'll go through and uh, you'll be able to quickly say, all right, um, I, I see where we've got to go with this. And if that doesn't fit in your business model, then guess what? You're done. It's time to move on, get to the next lead that's possible something you can do with rather than waste time. Like, hmm, uh, you know, can I figure out a way to make any money from this? Nicole, did you have any other questions? Nope. I think I'm good. Good. All right. Well, hopefully you found this helpful and uh, go out and create some terms. Mm-hmm.